Let's pray together. Lord God, we, uh, as always, administer uh, and our lives in accordance with your word. We want to do that, Lord, because we know that your word and your way is better than ours. Lord, we, uh, we do recognize that we do things we shouldn't do, say things we shouldn't say, things we shouldn't think. But Lord, we also very, very uh, humbly say that we know your way is better. So Lord, we do ask you that you would continue to watch over us and guide us. Lord, that you forgive us of our sins. Lord, you would give us your wisdom and your understanding and your discernment, Lord. We need that every day, especially in our times. Thank you for this time that we can spend together studying your word together. We pray your spirit would be in control of what is done and said this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me while I do something here. Okay, now, remember the old country song? We talked about that before, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Well, there was a time when the whole world was facing the same thing. Everybody was going to die, and so there wouldn't be anybody to be around to say anything. And when was that? Well, it was approximately 4,400 years ago. Who lived 4,400 years ago? Noah. Noah is the third person in Hebrews chapter 11. Then we talk about the heroes of the faith. So let's talk, let's, let's look at what it says. It's just one verse. It's actually verse seven, chapter 11 of Hebrews. And it talks an awful lot about Noah, but it doesn't say it in too many words. It's really good. It's nice and compact. It says prompted by faith, Noah being forewarned of God concerning events of which yet as yet there was no visible sign took heed and diligently and, and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. By this, and I'm reading from the Amplified, his faith which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief and became an heir and possessor of righteousness, which is that relation of being right into which God puts the person who has faith. So that's all we see about Noah in this chapter. Now, there's so much that we can talk about here. Let's get into it. It says, if one truly, really believes in God, there's going to be evidence of it. And how is there evidence of faith? Works. That makes sense? Sure. We get things done. So in order for faith to be valid, and this is important too, good deeds result continuously. Faith is valid. Good works result continuously. What is a good deed? What is good works? Well, help others, put others before yourself, offer a good word to someone, congratulate them, emphasize, empathize with them, donate time, your time or your energy or your resources. All of those things are good works. <coughs> teach if you can, and everybody can teach. I can't teach. Yes, you can. You can be a good example. You can teach by your example. Exactly. So, number one, we have seen from this chapter that Abel uh, showed his faith by what? Worshiping correctly, the way God wants it to be done. We also saw last week that Enoch showed his faith by what? Walking with God, doing what God wanted to do, walking with him. Not doing things his way. Noah, the subject of today now in verse 7, 
probably more than anyone else in history, illustrates the idea of works from faith. And really, Noah is, is worshiping God by being obedient. And he is so incredibly obedient. We'll see that in a minute. So we have two enemies. I want you to see this real, real strongly, too, because the Bible doesn't really uh, enumerate this quite the way I'm going to. But get this. We have the two most dangerous enemies to us. The first one is us. We are our own worst enemy. Why? Because our fallen sinful nature moves us to act, say, and be selfish. That's the way we're made. And the second most deadly enemy, of course, is the enemy, Satan, and his myriad of demons and fallen angels. And I'm, once again, I firmly believe that demons and fallen angels are not the same thing. Okay? Fallen angels are generally just exactly what they are. They were angels who fell from grace and, and were confined to, well, at the present time, the earth and the atmosphere above the earth. Demons are Nephilim spirits. When a Nephilim was created by, the, by a fallen angel and a woman having a baby, those products of, of conception could not be saved. So all of those Nephilim, when they died, they roamed the earth as demons. That's what I think. That's what the Jewish faith teaches also. I think that makes sense. So when you say demons, that could be the fallen angels too, but I think more precisely, a demon is a fallen is a fallen Nephilim spirit, and a fallen angel is exactly that, a fallen angel. You know, Jesus, what's that? Do they have a soul? They do not. And then the other thing, too, is Jesus said, remember when the disciples couldn't actually uh, get rid of a demon out of a certain individual? Uh, I think it was a child. And then Jesus said, it takes a special way to get rid of this particular kind. Well, see, I think that was a fallen angel that had possessed that person not a demon. Anyway, so like I said, we have two enemies and those are number one, us, and both through effort, through prayer, through the God's, God's leading, we can get rid of selfishness and that's what we need to be doing our whole life. That's the whole idea of process of sanctification. That's the purpose of doing that, right? Get rid of the selfishness. But the enemy, of course, Satan himself, goes after both believers and unbelievers. <laughs> you go, well, why would he do that? If we're saved, aren't we saved eternally? And the answer is yes. But he can sure mess your ministry up. He can make you turn away and act selfishly again. And that's what he wants to do, right? So um, I think personally, Satan delights in spoiling and ruining believers' lives. He does that all the time. And I think he ruins witness, witnesses, he ruins ministries by deceiving and lying about things, and we accept it. You know, it's interesting. I've noticed now, Mac, Pastor Mac does it. I think this teaches that. I'm going to teach that very, very same thing on the two Sundays, the 18th and the 25th evenings, about prophecy today. But I think what we have to see is the very first thing Jesus talked about as a sign of the times was deception. That was the first thing he said. Deception will happen. And I think we see that. And he said that this morning. We are letting ourselves be lulled into apathy by listening to people and what they say, either on the news or people that call themselves experts. And we shouldn't be doing that. We ought to be checking everything out. 
And that's what I mean by this. I think Satan lulls us into an apathetic attitude simply because he says, ah, that's not going to happen now. All that stuff that's going on over there overseas is no big deal. Doesn't affect us, but it does. Dramatically affect us. So anyway, we get to this. Satan attacks us two ways. Probably a whole lot more than that, but he attacks us two ways. The first one is, he says we got to do good works to keep our salvation. Whole denominations believe that. Of course, that's a lie from hell. That's not true. Faith comes first. Works come second. You can't get saved by doing good works. But it also, we got to keep good, do good works to keep our salvation? No, there's no such thing. You're saved. You're always saved. So Satan will tell you that. And that's wrong. That's a lie. He'll also say that we are saved by faith, and that can never be lost. But then, if it's never going to be lost, then what should I care about what I do? I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, right? So it doesn't matter what I do. Well, that's a lie from Satan, too. Because your works are the evidence of your faith. And that's the way he attacks Christians. Either tries to convince them that their, their salvation can be lost, or once you're saved, you don't have to do anything. See how subtle that is? It's very subtle in the way you can attack us. So, but from Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is very clear that basically a person is saved only by faith, not by works. And when he is saved, good works follow automatically, should anyway. And that's the evidence of salvation. Well, and the reason I'm saying all that is leading up to Noah. First Timothy 6.18 says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. There you go. That's what we do once we're saved, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't even understand that verse. Instruct them to be good, Paul is telling Timothy. Be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. Now, believers are, in fact, created in Christ Jesus for good works, it says in Ephesians 2.10. So there you go once again. Faith cannot be seen except in the things that is done, things that are done, right? Everybody agree with that? You should, because that's biblical. Noah was a man of faith, and he had to be to survive the flood, <laughs> right? God declared that he was going to wipe out all creatures that had breath in their lungs or had the true breath, and he did that except for all those beings that were on the ark. Genesis 6, 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God, just like Enoch did. So Noah worshiped God the same way Abel did. Noah walked with God the same way Enoch did. But now Noah's going to show us something else. In the sequential te teaching, and I'm trying to avoid that word progressive, in the sequential te teaching of God, we know that we're supposed to follow that pattern. So we start out with, we worship God the way God wants us to worship him. We have faith, okay? Then we walk with God the same way Enoch did, because we know he's God and we're not. And then we also now are going to obey God in the same way Noah did and do it without complaint. I want you to see that one real strongly. Here's, I'm going to paint the situation for you, and it seems absurd to most people, 
you know, but here's the situation. Before the flood, God said he separated the waters, those above, from those beneath. What was he talking about? Well, we can, we can imply from that. Now, can we be absolutely sure of this? No, but I think it fits it perfectly. And most of the uh, major uh, ministries like Institute of Creation Research and Answers in Genesis and so on say this. This is what they teach. And when God said that, he separated the waters above from below. That meant there was a canopy around the earth before the flood. That canopy basically kept out cosmic rays. It kept out, it would slow down things falling from space. It would also keep people or make people the ability, give people the ability to live a long time because cosmic rays weren't getting through. Also, the atmospheric pressure because of that canopy around the earth was probably double what it is today. Has anybody ever heard of a hyperbaric chamber? What do those, those things do? It heals you very quickly, right? Well, what's a hyperbaric chamber do? It has double the atmospheric pressure of us in the normal atmosphere. 14.7 PSI as we sit here. It's more like 30, 32 PSI in a hyperbaric chamber. That seems to heal people faster, and it happens. It works real well. So why would that be? Well, that would also keep you from getting sick. So you, if you don't get sick, you might live longer, right? What does the Bible say? Before the flood? People live to be 900 years plus. Do you believe that? I do. Really happened. How old was Noah when he started building the ark? 600 years old. How long did he live after the flood? 300 more years. Why? Because his DNA was perfect, almost perfect. Ours isn't. Our DNA is very much depleted. So also, God said it's going to rain. Noah said, it's going to what? It's going to rain. I don't know what that is. Because yeah. it had never rained before. Said the water, the water rose up from the ground and watered all the plants and the animals and so on and so forth. So what did God mean? Well, all that, that big canopy over the earth, it came down. It took 40 days and 40 nights for all that to come down. How did it come down? Have you ever seen a map of the world? And there's a look at the Atlantic Ocean. And if you see it, they have it where it shows the seabed. It's a big crack that goes all the way from the North Pole to the South Pole, the Atlantic Ocean. It follows right between the South American and the African continent and on between us and Europe. That crack goes all the way up from the South Pole to the North Pole. What is that? That the Mid-Atlantic Rift. What is the Mid-Atlantic Rift? Where God split things open and water shot up out of it probably 200 miles into the air, rained back down and brought that canopy down with it. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Then we no longer had that canopy over. Then all of a sudden, the sun rays could get through like they had never gotten through before. And then God said, the Noahic covenant, never again will I destroy the earth with the flood. And had that flood come about because that canopy came down. But also, now sun's rays could get into the earth and the earth was raining. Water droplets would collect in the air. That had never happened before. And when the sunlight hits water droplets, what happens? A rainbow appears, and that's God's promise never to do it again. Isn't that cool? Now, is that exactly the way it happened? I don't know for sure, but probably. Well, that's what Noah was facing. God said, I'm going to destroy everything that's breathing. Why? Well, let's read what it says in Genesis chapter 6. 
He started with verse 11. It says, the earth was depraved and putrid. We live in a putrid and depraved world today. Oh, brother. The earth was depraved and putrid in God's sight. And the land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. The Amplified said. Are we seeing that today? Uh Uh-huh. And God looked upon the world and saw how degenerate, debased, and vicious it was. For all humanity had corrupted their way upon the earth and lost their true direction. That was verse 12. Then it says, so God said to Noah, I intend to make an end of all flesh. For through men, the land is filled with violence. And behold, I will destroy them and the land. Interesting. People miss that one a lot. We'll need to mention that too. And the land. Make yourself an ark. Do you know what an ark was? No idea. An ark? It's like, remember the old Bill Cosby routine years and years ago? He had that thing where he said, Noah. And he goes, why? <laughs> Noah. Okay, what? Why don't you build an ark? And he goes, right. <laughs> What's an ark? <laughs> Remember that? I love that. Cosby was funny. I know a lot of things bad happened to him in later life, but he was funny. Anyway, make yourself an ark of gopher wood or cypress wood. We don't know what gopher wood is. We have no idea. Make it in rooms, or in other words, stalls, pens, coops, nests, cages, compartments, anyway and cover it inside and out with pitch. Then he says, in this way, you are to make it. And he tells exactly the dimensions and so on. I'll talk about those again in a minute. So we know that Noah heard from God, okay? We know he heard from him directly. We know he talked to him directly. Wow. Then what did he do? He said he immediately started building the ark. There you go, response. God, God speaks, he acted. He didn't say why me? Like like uh, Moses did. Or he didn't say, I don't want to do that and run away like Jonah did. <laughs> he said, okay, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And he started building the ark. Noah's trust in God meant un- un- undergoing heckling, ridicule, insults from people going, hey, Noah, what you doing? Building an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. They go, it's going to what? It's going to flood. What's the flood? I didn't know what that was either. So he, he had to tell them what was going on. He had to actually preach to them. And we know that he said, he said in Genesis 6, he preached to them. So we'll talk about that too. He preached righteousness. 2 Peter 2 5. What does 2 Peter 2 5 say? It says, he, and he spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven other persons. Then he brought the flood upon the world. He was a preacher of righteousness. So he's sitting there telling all these people about the judgment to come. Judgment's coming because you guys are putrid. <laughs> I'm sure that went over well. <laughs> so three things we know from, from verse, le- verse 7 in chapter 11 about Noah's faith. It was genuine. So what do we know? First of all, Noah responded to God's word correctly. In other words, Characteristic of true faith, he responded to it. He said, okay. Number two, we know Noah rebuked the world. Wickedness that surrounded him. Should we be doing that? Absolutely. Same thing. 
there's wickedness in the world, we should be rebuking it. And number three, Noah received righteousness because of it. Now, we get righteousness a different way. In the Old Testament, you got righteousness because of your faith. Faith was counted to him as righteousness. We get righteousness today by believing what Christ did for us. So, but when we get it, it's better than they get it in the Old Testament because we have the surety of the Holy Spirit. They did not have that. So now, Noah, first thing, Noah responded to God's word. First thing he says in the first part of verse 7, what does it say? It says, prompted by faith, Noah being forewarned of God concerning the events of which are yet, there was no visible sign. In other words, no, nothing looked like that before. That's what that's saying. Took heed and diligently and reverently constructed an ark for the deliverance of his own family. Okay, so he responded to God's word. When he was told what God was going to do, because of the weakness of the world, he responded immediately. He started building the ark. He says, Noah probably lived for far away from any sizable body of water. And we don't know where Noah actually lived, but it's, it's generally expected he lived in the same general area of the Middle East, probably not necessarily close to the Mediterranean Sea. There wasn't a Mediterranean Sea then, remember? So we don't know that. There probably wasn't any major body of water anywhere around. So they had no idea even what a boat was, much less an ark. So he immediately started doing that. Um, he had, this is another thing too that we, we forget about. Did Noah have very much knowledge about God? And the answer to that is no. He couldn't have because he had no written word. And the spirit probably was talking to him. That's who was telling him to build the ark, but that was it. We had much more information than he did. So he didn't have much, but he absolutely obeyed God immediately. And he started a project that would take over 10% of his life. Don't you think about that. Okay, God wants you to do something and you're 50 years old and you're probably going to live to be 80. Well, that project's going to take you at least eight to 10 years to do. Well, would you want to do that? It'd be kind of, kind of daunting, would it not? Well, no, it took him 120 years to build the ark. He lived to be 900, so that was like 15% of his life. He spent wielding that ark. Wow. I think he used up all the gopher I Probably so. <laughs> well, and the other thing, the other thing that I think is interesting, he had no experience building boats because he didn't know what a boat was. He had to follow God's instruction to the letter, right? But also, there was no easy access to a Lowe's. No, <laughs> He had to make his own wood. Cut down the trees, shape them, and do everything he needed to do to build the ark. He didn't know how to do that. God told him how to do it, of course. He didn't have any help either except for his sons. So four men building a thing that's as big as it is, and we'll talk about that in a minute, was quite interesting. And he spent all his time doing it. But while he was building it, he was always preaching, already preaching all the time to people coming along, ridiculing him. So Noah replaced just general uh, acceptance of what's going on in life with reverence to God and doing what God wanted, which is what we should be doing, of course. It's a good, good lesson for us there. But he prepared that ark. And he treated the message of God with great respect because he trusted in it. And we should trust in God too. So Noah had been faithful in small things. And then God made him be responsible for something very, very, very significant and large. Okay. And there are many symbols now associated with this before we get into what I really wanted to talk about in depth. And that is 
the symbols are associated. Notice he said, God said, cover the ark inside and out with pitch, right? Okay, here we go with language. Pitch in Hebrew is caper, and it's just three letters, K-P-R. You know, Hebrew doesn't have vowels. Did you know that? Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. We, we put the vowels in there so we can actually pronounce that Yahweh, but it's just Y-H-W-H. Well, caper means pitch, but it also means atonement. And why is that significant? God told him to coat the ark inside and out with atonement. In other words, I want my judgment not to get anywhere near you. I'm going to destroy the whole earth and the land, but the ark will be completely protected because I want you to cover it with pitch with atonement. What was that picture? Christ in the ark. The pitch kept the water out and the people safe and the animals safe. Also, <laughs> I think this is interesting. Uh, what does Christ's atonement do for us? Keeps out the judgment. What does that mean? It's a picture of the rapture. What, did, what happened to Lot when the two angels showed up in Sodom and Gomorrah? They said, you need to get out. Why? Because you're the only righteous one here. What happened to him? He left. And then the judgment came. That's a picture of the rapture again. This is a picture of the rapture as well. God will not bring his judgment on his people. Therefore, there, are, there is no condemnation on those in Christ Jesus. What's condemnation? Wrath of God. Right? Okay. Now, measurements of the ark. This is fascinating. It says it was so many cubits this and so many cubits that, right? What's a cubit? Well, we don't know precisely, but it's basically the distance from your elbow to the tip of your finger. 18 inches, roughly. If that's the case, then the ark was, by definition, with 18 inches using that, it was 450 feet long. Football field and a half. Is that as big as uh, a cruise ship? No, cruise ships are 1,000 feet long. So it's like half as big as a cruise ship. So it's not quite as long as a cruise ship by any means. But it was also approximately 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. So as tall as a four-story building, as wide as your lot where your house sits is deep. Think of it that way, 75 feet. Pretty good sized place, right? Here you go, 19, excuse me, 96,000 square feet, three days, 96,000 square feet. If you built a building today at current cost, that'd cost you $30 million to build it. That's a lot. Plus, it had 1.3. Well, yeah, that's true, too. It would take 120 years to build it, too. You're right. <laughs> Just think about it, though. He had, to, he had to go cut the trees down and shape them and then cover them with everything he needed to do. Oh, anyway. The other thing, too, is naval. Uh, well, I want to mention that, too. The equivalent space in the ark was equivalent to over 500 railroad cars. So people say, no way the ark could hold all of the animals. You know, well, yeah, it could. Think about 500 railroad cars. How, how big is a railroad car? 40 feet long, 10 feet wide, and 9 feet high. Put an awful lot of animals in one of them, much less than 500 of them. Then the other thing, somebody said, how many species were probably in it? It's been guessed around 16,000. Why that? Because there was only one cat breed, and all the other species of cat came from that one cat. Same with dogs. Same with all the others. 
eventually they turned into a whole bunch more uh, different types of that species, but it's still, it's still a cat, still a dog, so on. So also were there dinosaurs on the ark? Sure, absolutely. But they were probably babies. Why? Well, you don't want a T-Rex, full-size T-Rex get on the ark, right? That'd be stupid. But <laughs> so anyway, or they might have bought eggs on board. They might have had eggs sitting there, you know, they'd hatch out later. So that might work too. Interesting thing happened. There was, there was an engineering class, hydrology engineering class, that uh, was studying uh, ships and how they handle ocean storms. And so they were given the task, they split them up into teams. They give them the task to design a ship that they thought would survive a hurricane. So some of them built, they give them a scale to use. Some of them built ships like battleships, aircraft carriers, uh, I guess cargo ships that would carry oil, things like that, all, maybe even tugboats. There's all kinds of, they built a bunch of different kinds of boats. But one group decided to build an ark to the same dimensions in the Bible. Then they had a big tank they could simulate a storm on with wind and waves and they put all those ships in that tank and they brought up a hurricane force wind and hurricane force waves every single ship sunk except the ark because the ark was not built for maneuverability it was built for stability so it can it can sit there and and it wouldn't turn over okay there was no way it could turn over i've always thought i've been on cruise ships Sure glad I never saw big waves because if a big wave came along one of those big old things, it's a, what, 16, 17 stories above the water, big wave coming out, it just fold right over. That's why they always turn ships into the waves when something's coming because that wave's coming into the wave, the wave will go over the top of it, turn sideways, it gets get crushed by it. So that's why we don't get on boats. That's true too. <laughs> <laughs> But remember, Noah's sitting there preaching to these people for 120 years, and he's telling them what's coming, and they're going, yeah, right, whatever. Rain, yeah, I don't even know what that is. Did anybody else get on the boat with Noah and his sons and their wives? And the answer is no, nobody did. God always wants us to know that he doesn't wish for anybody to die. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, for any to perish doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So he wanted anybody else to get on there, and there apparently was room for them. That's the point, right? But no one got on. Genesis 6.18 tells us of the Noahic covenant. I mentioned that just a little while ago. What's the Noahic covenant? He would never destroy the world again by a flood. But also, he promised that uh, he sealed that covenant with the rainbow, like I said before. Covenant, first of all, was with Noah, but also it was with all of the creatures on the earth as well. And so uh, the covenant was, first of all, with Noah, the man who had found favor in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6, 8. But it's also, he was saved because of God's favor, and Noah was a sinner just like us. No different, okay? So that faith of Noah was genuine. He... Uh, prove that by his obedience. There's that once again. If you have true faith, works will show the true faith. That's exactly what Noah did. And he, he put up with persecution. He put up with heckling and probably people throwing things at him. There's no telling what all he did to him. We have no idea. We'll ask him someday. Well, what did you go through? And it probably surprised us. But God wants us all to do the same thing as Noah. Have faith, 
and do what he says. Okay, so obedience is the main thing. Now, we get to that. We need to worship as Abel did. Absolutely. That's God's way, not our way. Not like Cain. We need to walk with God like Enoch did. And we're going to get raptured because of it. we'll get the same thing Enoch got. And we're going to obey God like Noah did without complaining. We do such spectacular things. We can do spectacular things, but probably not as spectacular as Noah, but we will do things that please God. And like Carrie says, if you can witness to one person and cause them to turn and set Christ as their savior, that's worth more than an ark, right? So we need to please God. Now Noah rebuked the world. And I think this one is really interesting here too, because second part of verse seven says by this faith, he passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief and became an heir. Now he preached to the world. We know that he said he did that. Second Peter two, five actually says that too. And I think I read this to you, but I'll read it again. It says that he spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. So that shows that he was actually preaching too. So we need to do that as well. You know, we're not only living in a world that's uh, just as bad as it was, if not worse than it was before the flood, but we're living in a world that needs to hear the truth. And who does it need to hear the truth from? Us. Not Mac alone. He's incredible. But how many people are going to come hear Mac? And how many people does he come into in his life? A limited number. Look at us. There's 62 people in this room, and we all are preachers of righteousness, right? So talk about God to everybody. You know, talk about the times we live in. Because we live in a time, folks, I want you to know that, and I'll talk about that on those two Sunday nights. We are living in the end of the last days. The last days of the last days. And I can prove that to you, and I'll show it to you those nights. Yes, sir. Well, it proves how the future Because he preached for 100 years and didn't have one single convert. No convert. That's bad. That's sad, but that's bad, too. It's really bad. That's true. So anyway, he was a preacher of righteousness. This wasn't easy because his society was certainly the most evil and corrupt in history, although I think we probably are rivaling that now. Uh, Genesis uh, 6-5 kind of talks about that. It says, so uh, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and intention of all human thinking was only evil continually. That's, that characterizes us today. Absolutely does. Not all of us, of course, but the biggest majority. So in Noah's time, and I believe it still happens today, I think the devil is trying to attack us every way he can. I think he's still producing Nephilim, to be honest with you. I think some of the people walking around today are half fallen angels or maybe a third or a fourth or a tenth generation-wise. And so they can't be saved, and so they're just evil. So I think that's the way it was back then. Um, the people had ample warning. 120 years of it didn't do a thing. Or do people have ample warning today? Yeah, they do. They're being told all the time that the tribulation's coming. Jesus is coming back. And they go, I don't care. Or I don't believe that. Yeah. And then uh, I wanted to read something to you out of Matthew, chapter 24, 37 through 39. It says, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For just as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the very day when Noah went into the ark. And they did not know or understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And that's extremely important to see. Also, I want to mention something to you. Uh, Ted sent me uh, a video of a guy, and I, I'm not going to tell you his name. I don't remember it anyway, but he is the founder of Veggie Tales. Apparently, you think that was good, right? His whole message was that the rapture is a bunch of nonsense and revelation doesn't matter. Now, I'll tell you what, guys. We have to be careful who we listen to. Do you think Veggie Tales is a good thing, right? I think it is. It teaches good, good moral things, biblical things to kids. But this guy's an apostate. Because he said, he took everybody to Matthew 24 and read the next verses after I just got through reading that, talking about what? Before the flood. The Old Testament, right? He comes to this and it says, at that time. At that time? When's that? Before the flood. At that time. Context, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding the handmill, one will be taken, one will be left, and so on. He says, that's talking about the rapture. No, it's not. It's talking about the sheep and goat judgment, the Christ's second coming. So you got to be careful. When you hear something that sounds a little kinky, call me. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's what Ted did. So be careful. I'm just trying to be, there are all kinds of people out there saying things like that. The Andy Stanleys of the world, you can nail him to the wall easily. I mean, he just, he's just an apostate. And he, everything he says is wrong. But there are others out there that can talk really good, like Morris over at Gateway Church in, in Fort Worth. He's an apostate too, but he sounds good. So be careful who you listen to. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. So the parallels of Noah's day to ours are absolutely sobering. It's the same thing. God's message of coming wrath, tribulation, is even ignored by a lot in the church. There are denominations in this town, and especially Baptist churches in this town, that tell you that that's not, it's not going to happen. It's already happened, or it doesn't matter, or it's just to wake you up. That's all it's for. It won't actually come to pass. I'm here to tell you it will, because God said it will. In Noah's day, there was an incredible wickedness, immorality, violence, lewdness, vulgarity, profanity, lying, killing, blasphemy, and all that stuff, just like today. So what a change from those of you who were lived in the 50s at one time to now. It's completely different. It was relaxed, and it was nice, and it was comfortable, and there was bad things going on, but it was usually handled by the cops, right? Wow. Today, Yes, sir. In your opinion, is there any estimate on how many people actually live for living on, on, on the earth? Today or when? No, then. Then, at time of flood? Yeah, there, there have been speculations that a billion people live before the flood. What's the ballpark number? A billion. With a B. Do you know something? God got rid of all the trash. Yeah, he did. That's basically what he did. And you know something? Yeah, well, the deal is, remember now, the reason I think that he saw all that wickedness back then before the flood was the fact that most of the people there had Nephilim blood in them. In other words, they couldn't be saved. And the other ones that could be, 
didn't believe because those people that had Nephilim blood were telling them it was a bunch of nonsense. And that's the same thing going on today. It's the same thing happening that's today. That's the same thing that's taking place right now. Yeah, it is. No doubt. Well, I just, that's just apostasy. So in Noah's day, there was a remnant that found grace. Eight people. <laughs> it's pretty much a remnant, all right. But today, there's a remnant, too, that will be raptured. Well, how much is that? Well, if there are two billion people that claim to be Christian in the world today, I would tell you right now that I bet less than 10% of those people are really, truly Christians. Right? Well, that would be 200 million, and that's a lot of people. So the rapture could be pretty big. I really like what Max said today, and I agree with that, too. God is capable of those, taking those 200 million people and treating them face-to-face each individual face-to-face. So it's not like there's going to be huge crowds. It makes me feel better to say that because I don't like crowds. <laughs> but anyway, I believe it was Ruth Bell Graham who actually said, if God didn't destroy the world today, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And I agree with that. So the last thing is we see, well, we see judgments coming, so we need to tell everybody about it. The last thing is Noah received God's Righteousness, and that's the last part of verse 7 there. He says he became an heir and possessor of righteousness. Why? Because of his faith. In fact, he obeyed God, and he had faith in God, and he worshiped God, and he acted on his faith. And that's what we should be doing, too. All of us are in that same position, so we can do the same thing. Noah's faith was proved by his receiving God's righteousness. God bestows his righteousness on those who trust in him. Genesis 6, 9 says a righteous man, blameless in his time, and he walked with God. And we're doing that, too. So do what God says. Noah was the first person in Scripture to be called righteous. Very first one. Why? Because he did what God wanted. He obeyed God. And he knew who God was. So all who believe in God, believe Christ rose from the dead, accepted the gift, his gift of salvation, are righteous. And what does that mean? You are seen as from God as being righteous right now. Are you righteous? No, I'm certainly not. Try to be, but God sees you that way. It's like he has Christ's blood covered glasses on and he looks at you and he sees righteous people. Every one of them. Isn't that cool? So all who believe in God are righteous. Maybe not always in practice, but certainly in position. We are positionally righteous and glorified already. You know, God talked about that through Paul. He said we are already sanctified. We are already righteous we are already glorified because it's going to happen so the god the father sees us as he sees his son holy and righteous because why we are in christ christ we are in christ okay we're not believing in him we're not walking with him necessarily that's true but we are actually in christ because that's what he said he brings him in us into him so thousands of years before jesus came before the flood, which was 4,400 years ago from now. Thousands of years ago before Jesus came, God looked at Noah, and he saw the son also. because He knew he would be a believer. He saw him. So now Noah believed, and he obeyed, and we should do so. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we, we trust in you. We have faith in you, Lord. We want to work out that faith by our works, of course because that's what you want us to do. We want to obey you in all that you are and all that you say and all that you are promising 
And Lord, we want to do that as well. Please uh, guide us and direct us through your Holy Spirit and your word. And we can do that. We can actually show you that our faith is real. And it's real because of our actions and our deeds that we have post-salvation. And Lord, thank you for men like Noah, men like Abel, men like uh, Enoch, who actually showed forth their faith by actually acting out exactly what you wanted them to do in their lives. And they were rewarded for it. Even though Abel died, he died, but of course he went straight to heaven. And Enoch was raptured, and Noah did exactly what he was supposed to do. He survived a world-killing flood. Amazing. We can do something maybe not as spectacular as Noah, but we can certainly share the good news, share you and your son with others so that they might escape what's coming because it is so close, Lord. The world is showing us that. It's actually revealing to us that revelation is right around the corner. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming, is just around the corner. So we need to act that way and preach that way and witness that way. So thank you, Lord, for this time that we can study your word together. Be with us as we go through this coming week, going into another month already. Time is amazingly passing so quickly. Another reason why we think the things are coming to a climax very soon. So thank you, Lord. Be with us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.